Well, this is the very last weekend for what's been a series that's lived up to its name, Unforgettable. As I look back through the summer, every single communicator was not only gifted, but was used to impact us in new and different ways. And, and I'm so thankful for the experience, but I have to tell you, I, I'm thrilled about moving forward. Next weekend, I get to come back and, and I get to reopen a series that has been one of the most impacting in all my years of teaching God's Word. We're starting Origins Part 3. If you're a guest, we have been going to the Holy Land and, and capturing on video the context where the Bible unfolded originally. We've done Origins, the life of Jesus, and Origins, the Old Testament. And this year, we went to what is modern-day Turkey and Greece and Rome, which is where Paul and Peter and the early church unfolded. And I have to tell you, the Bible came alive for me in very impacting ways when I was there. And now, I get to bring that to you. And so I hope you'll be inviting people and planning to be here, because starting next weekend, it's going to be a great, great season of ministry. But this weekend, the end of Unforgettable, we're taking a change of directions. Every weekend we've had a guest from the outside and this weekend we're going to experience a talk from one of our own. He's the campus pastor at Grosseal and he leads out our group ministries here at Northridge Church. Along with his wife Emily and two kids, he is a very important part of our family. So this weekend I'm going to ask you to give a huge Welcome to our very own Colston Copeland. Yeah. Good morning. Hey, uh, before we go anywhere this morning, I, I just feel like we should say thank you. Um, we have a ton of volunteers that pull off our worship, um, our musicians, backstage people, sound, lights. They do a phenomenal job, and not just here in Plymouth, but even at our regional campuses. So can we just say thank you? Um, I think it's easy for us to forget that they're volunteers, that they sacrifice their own time and energy uh, to serve us in this idea of playing music. They're not here to perform, but they're here to give us an opportunity to express our hearts to God and glorify Him. So I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of the church who honors that and elevates that opportunity. And again, as Pastor Brad said, I serve as the campus pastor out in Brazil as well as our uh, community groups pastor. And so anytime I have a chance to be here on Sunday morning, it's weird uh, because I'm always in Brazil. Uh, but it's a great opportunity to be here. And man, this series, Unforgettable, has just been phenomenal. Uh, I know for my per life personally, uh, Pete, uh, Pete Wilson talked about getting out of the boat. And that was challenging for me. Uh, Darren talked about midnight worship. And that was a, a challenging message. So if you've missed any of this series, I really encourage you, go back to northridgechurch.com, uh, click on the on-demand link in the top right corner, and check out the other services. Uh, they've been phenomenal communicators, and I know that God has used that, even in my own life, to shape and to mold me. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. But today, I have the privilege um, to close out this unforgettable series. There's a little bit of pressure in this because you know what you don't want to be closing out a series called Unforgettable? You don't want to be forgettable. And as a good buddy of mine encouraged me before I came out, he said, Colston, don't suck. 
<laughs> so, in love. Uh, but I'm excited to, to jump in today um, because I truly believe that anytime you take God's truth and you apply it to your life, things become unforgettable. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, that's where we're going to start. Uh, but I want to kind of give you a sneak peek a little bit about myself. And um, if you don't know me or you're a guest, man, thank you for coming this weekend. Uh, but I don't know if you can tell, uh, speaking northern is not my native tongue. Uh, I'm from the south. I grew up in Texas. And as a young kid, and pretty much all kids, uh, sports is everything to us. Texas is well known uh, for their sports. Um, football in Texas, kind of a big deal, okay? Um, just so you know, that uh, quarterback you guys have uh, for that one team down the road, um, the Lions or something like that, Matthew Stafford, he's from Texas. Yeah, that's right. In my junior year, I spent my first playoff game ever chasing that dude around the field, never could catch him. Um, but sports is everything to us. And as a kid, I'll be honest and transparent, sports was my idol. Uh, I, I live, breathe, eat sports. I was that kid that watched Sports Center four hours in a row. Yes, it's the same show every four hours, but I watched it. I loved it. I enjoyed sports. And I played basketball, baseball, soccer, football. Um, you name, I played it all. And I can remember as a young kid, um, as a real young kid, I had the honor to play sports with my dad being my coach. And for some of you, you know what that's like. If your dad is the coach, that could be a good thing or a painful thing, just depending on your personal experience. And my dad, I loved, loved him very much. He loved me very much. Uh, but my dad demanded and expected perfection. And uh, he was a yeller and a screamer as a coach. He never yelled at any other kids, just his own. Um, but what that did for me is it made me work harder. I did extra laps. I did extra everything because he was my, my coach, a.k.a. my dad. But I remember one time as a young kid, uh, I was playing baseball uh, this season. And uh, I, I started the game as a catcher. I spent the first four innings catching and then I came in the last two innings, and I pitched. Uh, I did pretty well, didn't give up any runs. That night, I had three hits, and I actually hit the winning run to win the game. That's right. Your pastor is a stud. No, I'm just kidding. Hence, I'm a pastor, not chasing Matthew Stafford anymore. Um, not that much of a stud. But I remember that day. It was awesome. I got the game ball. I was so proud. It was an exciting thing. Um, and then I got in the truck. And I remember this very vividly as a young kid. I got in the truck, and my dad was like, good job, son. You did good tonight. But too bad you didn't go four for four. As a young kid, that crushed me. I got the game ball, I hit the winning run in, I sweated it out behind the plate for four innings and then pitched two shutout innings and it wasn't good enough. A lot of my childhood, my dad passed when I was 10, but a lot of my childhood was spent trying to earn his approval and his acceptance. What that did for me as a young child 
is it made me think that there was a, a level of intimacy, a, a, a relational setting with my dad that I didn't get to experience because I wasn't perfect. I never felt like I was good enough, that I always fell short. And I know, I know I'm not the only one. I know that some of you experienced the same thing from your dad, that you didn't earn it, you never felt like you were good enough. And for some of you, it wasn't even your dad, it was your mom, or for some of you, maybe it was a coach. Some of you, even today, you have a boss that constantly tells you, you don't measure up, that you're not good enough. And, and we live in a society, and what this does to us is it creates this mentality. Our society creates this mentality that says, what you do determines your position. What you do determines your position. The harder you work, the more you achieve, it changes your position. And as a little kid, that's what it did for me and my dad. I thought the more I worked, the harder I did, the more perfect I became, I got a better relationship with my dad. And for some of you, it's not even that relational setting with your parents, but it's this idea of worth, of value, of significance, that the more you achieve, the more you accomplish, the higher the paycheck, the higher the raise, the more worth value acceptance that you have in your life. We live in a world that says what we do determines our position. And I'm not saying this is a, a completely terrible and bad thing because I think that's what pushes us as a society to grow, to achieve, to aspire. Innovation, technology, it pushes us. We don't settle for the status quo. We're always working harder and harder. It's not a terrible thing. But can I tell you this morning that anytime you take that mentality, what you do determines your position, and you apply that to faith, you apply it to your relationship with God, it short circuits everything. It's like taking a square peg and trying to fit it into a, a round hole. Anytime you take that mentality, a worldly system, a worldly uh, function, and try to apply it to faith, you always short-circuit the process. It never works. It's always competing. And my biggest fear is that so many people, and maybe even some of you, that's why you're frustrated with faith. That's why this whole church thing is just what you do, it's not what you experience. My fear is that so many people have walked away from church and walked away from faith because it's just always doing like this. My hope and my prayer this morning is share with you a truth from God's word that truly becomes unforgettable because you get to experience what it's like to live a life and not just live but to live abundantly enjoying a faith, enjoying an intimate relationship with God. I pray that God this morning, he illuminates your heart and your spirit to see what he wants from, for you. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. Starting in verse 14, it says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Drop down to verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Verse 18, all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now I want you to drop down to verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, 
As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a very deep theological passage, and I promise you we're not going to be here all morning, okay? But I want to point out a few things to you that are so important uh, to what Paul teaches us and ultimately important to our lives and how we experience an intimate relationship with God. Paul starts off and he says this, for Christ's love compels us in verse 14. He expresses and shares with you and I everything that motivated Paul to do what he did in life. The fact that he surrendered his life to Christ, that that he gave his life to spread the gospel throughout the known world, all of that was motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of persecution, he kept doing what he was doing. He didn't quit. He didn't give up because he was compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. What is this love? Where does it come from? He kind of explains that. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. Paul was convinced that Jesus Christ's death on the cross, his life was given for you and I so that we may experience a relationship with God. He was convinced that when Jesus died, he died in our place, a sacrificial death for all of us. He, he believed this without, with all of his heart. First John chapter 2 says it like this. He, being Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. See, Jesus' death, his sacrifice on the cross, is exactly what was necessary for us to have an intimate relationship with God. And Paul was convinced of this. He knew this. Jesus' death, his resurrection... This was the greatest expression of unconditional love, unconditional obedience that had ever been displayed and ever will be displayed right there on the cross. And Paul was convinced. He knew of this. And it wasn't just a matter of knowing it. He experienced, see, the reality that God loved Paul, loved me, loved you so much that he gave his son, sacrificed him on the cross so that we could actually have a relationship with him. This was a love that transformed Paul's life, that transforms our lives. Paul talks about it like this in Romans. He said, sometimes you may find somebody that would be willing to die for a righteous person. But very rarely will you find someone that's willing to die for just an average person, an okay person. Paul talks about that in interesting verses. I just want to be transparent with you. I don't know you. I'm sure I'd like you. Some of you are nice people. I can't guarantee you that if your life was in jeopardy, I would step in front of a train to save your life. Just honest. I don't know that you would do that for me either. But if it was my family, by all means, I'd sacrifice my life for my wife, for my kids. I'm such a good person. I would sacrifice my life for my mother-in-law. You laugh because some of you are going, nope. No way, dude, no way. It's exactly what Jesus did for us. And it wasn't a train, it was a cross. That he gave his life for us. And it wasn't because you were a good person It wasn't because of who you are. It was in spite of who you were. 
Jesus gave his life for us. We've got to understand, we've got to get a taste for what kind of radical sacrifice that really is. Paul says it like this in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I want you to try to visualize who we are personally, broken, sinful, in our selfish state. This is how we live. This is, this is how we were born, separated. God's over there. And in order for us to have a relationship with him, that gap has got to be filled. But Paul says, in our selfishness, in our sin, in our rebellion, and we all, if we're honest with ourselves, we know we're not perfect. I mean, those of us from Texas, we're, we, we're close. But we're, we're not perfect. It's God's country. You've heard the country songs. God bless Texas. I got to get it in. Come on, don't. Cheap laughs. But the thing is this, is in our sin, our, our self, it separates us. There's a distance between. There's no intimate relationship with God in who we are. And Paul was convinced, and he knew, he believed, he accepted, and he surrendered this idea that Jesus died on the cross to bridge that gap so that we could have that. We've got to see how our sin so separates us from God. In our complete resistance... Jesus died anyway. Again, not because of our righteousness, not because of how good we were. He died in spite of who we were. And when the reality of our sin hits us, when the reality of how broken we are, how rebellious we are, how self-centered we are, when that reality hits you and then you sing songs like this about Jesus' love, the cross just humbles you. Because you recognize you you're not worthy of it. You're not good enough for it. In all of our rebellion, there was this loving God who extended mercy, who extended grace to us so that we could have an intimate relationship with him. That's a level of love that transforms, that changes us. And Paul was convinced of that. Now move down to verse 17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. For some of you, you've been in church for a long time, and that verse, you, you've heard it said over and over and over, and you just glow, glaze right over it. I want to show you what Paul's talking about. In Christ, this is a phrase Paul uses constantly throughout his writings, and it's an important phrase. It's a very important phrase. In Christ, are you in him as he in you? And I know for some of you, you're checking this faith thing out. Somebody drug you here this morning because it's Labor Day, and who really goes to church on Labor Day? But you're here. And I, I want to try to illustrate this. In Christ, let me see it like this. I want you to imagine that this is the throne of your life. And whoever or whatever sits on the throne of your life is what leads you. It has authority over you. If you will, it's what you worship. For some of you, your, your, um, your society, the way in which people perceive you, your social economic standpoint in society, that's what sits there. And so that's what drives you, that's what motivates you, that's why you work so hard, put in the extra hours, so that your perception and your worth, your value is there. For some of you, I say this in love, for some of you, you put your kids there. And your kids are what sits on the throne of your heart because they're the ones that dictate your life. They're the ones that you make your decisions around. They're the ones that tell you what you're really doing and how you're spending your time, your energy, your resources. Your kids are there. 
I get it, I'm a parent. For some of you, you may even put your spouse there. Let me ask you this morning, who or what is it that sits on the throne of your life? Does Jesus sit here? Is he the authority? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he your savior? Does he have the authority to lead you, to guide you, to change you? Do you submit to him? And I'll be honest, what I've found in my own life, when I was younger, is I sat here. I was the king of my own life. I was the authority. Who or what sits on the throne of your life? Because the answer to that question is the most important question that you could ever answer. Does Jesus sit here? Paul was convinced that when Jesus died, that he died for him and for all of humanity so that he could sit on the throne of Paul's life. And notice, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone. The moment you put Jesus on the throne of your life, this is where you were before in your sin and your selfishness. But the moment by faith you step down and surrender and put Jesus on the throne, all the, immediately your position changes. You are now in Christ. Jesus on the throne of your life affords you to be in him. He is in you. There's a positional change. You are now here instead of over there. Separated, not any longer. Intimate relationship, you are here. That's what happens when you surrender your heart, your life to Jesus Christ. When you put him on the throne of your life, your position before God immediately changes. Then he says we're a new creation. And this is where those of you who've grown up in church, you've been around, you know that you're in Christ, but that whole new creation is really weird to you. That, that phrase is really weird to you because you don't feel new. <laughs> because you know you go home and you still struggle with the things that you struggle. You know that you still mess up. It's so important that you see that when Paul talks about this new creation, it's not that you're brand new in practice. It's not that you, everything changes what you do, what's changed. Your position has changed. And being in Christ, you literally are brand new. You have a new position. You have a new heart. You have a new authority. You have a new Lord. You have a new Savior. All of that has changed in him. Paul says it like this, that we're given life. Ephesians 2, he says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. We've made a, been alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. In Christ, you are now alive. You get to live in joy. And inside your worship program, I, I just, I, I had them print this out for you. If you'll pull that program out, I just listed out a few things here on the program that the truth of God's word tells you about who you are in him. When your position changes, I want you to see who that is. The Bible teaches us that you are the righteousness of God. In Christ, this is who you are. You are the righteousness of God. You are free. You're free from being controlled by your selfish, sinful desires. You're free from the bondage of sin. You're free from that. You are a co-heir with Christ. The Bible teaches that you've been adopted in Christ. You were adopted into God's family. You're his child. You're, you're his. You're a citizen of heaven. 
You're justified. You now have the mind of Christ. You were sealed until the day of redemption in Christ. You can't lose your position in him. He's yours. He's given you the guarantee of the Holy Spirit in Christ. You are forgiven. You were loved. Psalm says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that you're his workmanship. This is who you are in Christ. Something to be excited about. I know it's 9 a.m. Wake up. This is who you are in Jesus. And I'm so afraid that so many people who are in Christ have no idea how to live there. They don't know how to live there because they truly don't know who they are. Because here's what happens. Listen to me. The world system kicks in. Remember what the world says? What you do determines your position. That's what the world says. That's what I was trying to do with my dad. I was trying to earn a position with him. But here's the thing. In faith, the truth that Paul teaches us here, this is the truth I want you to get. I want you to erase the lies and live in this truth. Here it is. The truth of God's word says, your position determines what you do. Your position determines what you do. But the world system competes against that, remember? So for some of you, you're in Christ, but you still live as if you're over here trying to get there. If you're like me, you grew up in a religious setting that said, don't do this, don't do this, don't do, definitely don't do that, don't talk to them, don't date those people, don't, don't, don't. And the more you don't, the closer to God you got. I grew up in that religious setting, and some of you did too. And so this mentality was that the more I worked, the harder I worked, the closer to God I got. Some of you, you grew up in a religious setting. That religious setting said, do this, do this, stand up, sit down, say this, say that, go here, do this, do this, do this. And the more you do, guess what? You get God. And for some of you, you watched all those people and you go, I don't want anything to do with that. They're crazy. They're religious nuts. Because the world system says you've got to earn your position with God. God's truth says he gives it to you because one person died on a cross so that you could have this. And when that clicks, when that changes, when you understand who you are, it changes everything. And I want you to hear this, verse 18. These are the five words that just blew my mind, that transformed my faith, my relationship with God. All of this is from God. All of this is from God. Everything that's here, the fact that I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm transformed, I'm redeemed, I'm a co-heir, I'm sealed with, sealed until the day. All of this in Christ came from God. So you know what that means for me in my old religious setting? I don't have the power to get here. I can't earn it. I can't not do stuff enough to get over there. Or for some of you can't do enough to get here. Why? All of it's been given to us by God already. And so can I tell you this in love? If we have everything we already need in God, stop working for it. Some of you had just woke up. Stop working for it. Stop. You already have it. He's given it to you. Quit. Quit working for it. 
You're never going to gain more love. You're never going to gain more forgiveness. You're never going to gain more value and significance from God. He already gives you all of him. Stop working for it. And the moment you do, you get to truly live. Faith, relationship with God, it's not work anymore. You get to enjoy who you are in him. Stop working for it because you don't have the power to obtain it anyway. So stop. God's truth says your position determines what you do. Stop working for what you already have. How many of you have ever gone to the grocery store without a list? Anybody guilty? Yep, good. You're human. So we all have that problem where we go to the grocery store without a list. And what's true of my life, this may not be true of yours, but what's true of my life is that when I go without a list, I find myself going down every single aisle just in case there's something there I need. So, I mean, I'm up and I'm down, I'm up and I'm down. And what I do is I go down the aisle and I go, oh, I don't think we have any pickles. I'm going to grab some pickles. So I check out, I go home, I open the refrigerator, I look behind the mustard, what's there? Pickles. If you come to my house, we have like four jars of pickles. Sour cream, too. I don't know what it is about sour cream. We got a bunch of sour cream, too. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. I just wasted like a buck seventy-nine on on these stinking pickles. The time and the energy just going, huh? Do we have it? Do we not have it? I wasted so much time and energy, and I already had the pickles. I wonder how many things in life, how much money I've wasted, how much time and energy I've wasted in life buying things <laughs> that I already had. I wonder. How much of my life have I wasted trying to work to obtain what I already have in Christ? I wonder what I've missed out on. I wonder how much I've wasted because I didn't live here. And I want you to see how this changes us. It changes us so much. When we stop working to obtain what we already have, we actually get to live You and I, you and me, we get to experience joy because he gives it to us. We get to have peace without working so hard to change our circumstances. We get to have peace because he gives it to us. We get to relax. We don't have to work so hard anymore to obtain things because he already gives it. I don't have to put on a show when I come to church any longer because I'm afraid of what people may think because I know who I am here. We no longer have to work for value and significance in life. We don't have to work for the applause of men because God already tells us how valuable and worthy we are. We actually get to listen to his Holy Spirit lead us and guide us instead of trying not to screw up all the time. Instead of making our own do's and don'ts list, we actually get to listen and to follow. We also, when we get this right, get this, when we get this right, we actually live in a way that people go, wow, there's something about them. And I'd like to tell you I get this right. 
I'd like to sit here in front of you, especially as a pastor on stage, I'd like to tell you that I always live in my position in Christ, but I don't. You know why? Because the world system, everything around me, tells me that I've got to earn it. I'd like to tell you that I, I live with confidence in who I am, that I never struggle with doubt or, or self-consciousness, but I do. Because the world in, in, in my mind constantly tells me, Colston, you're not doing enough. There's more people out there. They're doing more things than you. You're not doing enough. Colston, you're, you're messing up too much. You're screwing up. If people only knew what went through your mind, there's no way. Colson, there's no way that God can continue to forgive you. You keep doing it over and over and over. You're not doing enough to change your circumstances. You're not doing enough to have joy and peace and contentment in life. You're not making enough money. You're not owning enough stuff to enjoy. And can I tell you, just transparently, as a pastor, to hear my mind tell me that I don't have what it takes, it reminds me so much of my dad. And I loved him, and he loved me, and I just wish I knew that he accepted me. I, I know that he did, and I just didn't live that out. And I know I'm not the only one. I've talked to person after person who feels the same way. I always feel like they're too messed up, that they're too far from God, that because God, I mean, if God only knew what they did, he does, but in case, he would never accept us. He would never love us. Let me read you this last verse, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? God was working through Jesus to make it possible that you and I in our sinful, broken mess could actually be made right. And in that process, guess what we get? We get the righteousness of God. He gives it to us because ours is worthless. It's filthy rags. He gives it to us. And all of that, all of this is from God. So the question is this, Colson. If this is who we are, and the world is constantly saying that we have to work for it, but God's truth says that since we're here, that determines how we live, how do we fight against that? How do we, how do we stay here? And I believe that Paul gave us the answer to that question in verse 14. For the love of Christ compels him because he's convinced that one died, and when he died, he died for all. The cross of Jesus Christ is our reminder of who we are. So I want to encourage you, if, when you are living in Christ and, and you're tempted to think that you have to earn something or you have to be good enough for something, I want you to look at the cross and be reminded of the sacrifice that Christ made for you. I want you to look at the cross, and when you see the cross, I want you to see your worth, your value, significance, your love, because Jesus gave it to you. You didn't earn it. He gave it. He laid down his life for you. And if we keep the cross in the forefront of our minds to remind us who we are in him, then we can ignore the world. We don't have to earn anything. He already gives it to us. And when we already live in, in the position that we're in, we truly become an ambassador like Paul talks about. We actually represent Christ well when we live in who we are. We don't have to earn anything. I have two daughters, beautiful girls, blonde hair, blue eyes. I own multiple guns. I understand what I'm up for when it comes to them getting older. I am from Texas. There's country songs about what happens. It's true. But I was, my oldest daughter is just now three years old. 
And uh, I, I was driving down the road here a few weeks ago, and uh, my daughter loves to sing and dance and act a fool. She has more energy than any child should have. She's mine. Um, but she was in the back, and she was singing. She was singing her ABCs, you know, ABC. And the fact that she knew her ABCs before she was three is pr- impressive to me. It made me normal, but I'm sure I didn't learn my ABCs till I was in kindergarten or something. Uh, I'm from Texas, remember? So <laughs> she's singing, and she finishes the song, you know, next time, won't you sing with me, that kind of, you know. And she goes, Daddy, clap for me. I said, what? I looked, I looked in the rear. What'd you say, baby? She said, Daddy, clap for me. So I did what any dad would do. I clapped for her. And I look in the rearview mirror. She's buckled into her car seat. She puts her hand right here kind of on her chest, and she bows, says, thank you. Thank you. You know, as much as she can in the car seat, it's like crunches. Thank you. Thank you. My daughter wasn't even three years old yet, and she's already looking for the applause of her father. She's already looking for the acceptance of her dad. I so desperately want to raise my girls to know that they don't have to earn their father's love. I so desperately want to raise my girls to know that they don't have to earn my approval, my acceptance, that because they're mine, I already give it to them. I believe that God wants you to know who you are in him so that you don't have to think you have to earn it. That in him, he already gives it to you. And when you're tempted to earn things from your father, the way my girls are going to want the applause, I'll lovingly remind them that they already have it because they're mine. God wants to remind you that you already have it every time you look at the cross. Never forget the cross because the cross is truly unforgettable. Unconditional love displayed that transforms lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning humbled. God, just humbled that you love us in our mess, in our sin and our selfishness. God, you love us. You care for us. You displayed that love by sending your son to the cross. God, thank you for that. There's nothing. May our lives be an honor and a sacrifice to you for what you gave to us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, in a room this size, I know that when I asked you who or what sits on the throne of your life, I know some of you in that very moment knew that Jesus didn't sit there. And if Jesus doesn't sit on the throne of your life and you recognize that, at all of our campuses, with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you know that Jesus at this time doesn't sit on the throne of your life, I just want you to do this. I just want you to look up at me. Just look up at me. If you know that Jesus doesn't sit here, That's the most important question that you could ever ask yourself. There's absolutely nothing that you can do to earn your way to God. You simply surrender your heart, your life, and put Jesus here. So those of you who are looking at me, 
at all of our campuses. This is your opportunity to surrender your heart, your life to him. And here's what I want you to do. If you're looking at me, I want you to cry out in your heart right now. Where you're sitting, cry out. Say, God, I know that I'm messed up. God, I know that I'm not perfect. I, I, my sin is a mess. But God, I'm convinced, telling this in your heart, God, I'm convinced that Jesus died on the cross for me so that I could have a relationship with you. So in this moment, God, telling this in your heart, in this moment, God, I surrender. I surrender my heart and my life to you as the Lord, as my Savior. God, come into me. Let me be in you. And as you cry that out and you truly cry that out in your heart, immediately your position has changed. You can bow your heads. For the rest of us, I know so many of us have put our faith and trust in Christ and he sits here, but we have a tendency to want to sit in his lap <laughs> or scoot him over. And in this moment, if that's where you realize that so much of your life has been in him, but you don't truly live, you've been working, in this moment, just say, God, I'm sorry. God, remind me of who I am in you. Father, thank you again for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness, your grace, God, that sustains us, that gives us life. God, may we live in who we are because you say who we are. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to take this out. This is our program. And I want you to rip off that connection card. For some of you, you cried out in your heart for the very first time today, and you put Christ here on the throne of your life. This connection card is our opportunity to love you, to serve you, and help you walk through faith. Because it's going to be a battle living in who you are. And we want you to know you don't have to fight that battle alone. That's what a faith family's for. After the service, our prayer team is going to be down front as well. So I want you to take that card, if you've surrendered your heart and your life at all of our campuses, and you put Christ there for the very first time, I want you to let us know. And I want you to come. You can take the card. You can drop it in the boxes as you leave, or you can come down front and give it to the team. For some of you, though, you recognize that it's the challenge of living in who you are. Paul says, be renewed by the trans transforming of your mind. So the reason I put these things on your program was to remind you who you are in him, some of the truth of scripture. And one of the greatest things that you can do to remind yourself who you are is memorize these verses. Replace the broken thinking with truth. That's how you transform your mind. You constantly filter truth through your mind. So I want you to take these verses, and I'm gonna challenge you to memorize one of these may have truly spoken, God may have really nudged your heart in one of these areas. And I wanna challenge you to memorize it. So if you're willing to take that, memorize one of them or two of them, I want you to take that same connection card and, and write on there, working to memorize or memorizing scripture. I want you to take that card and drop it in the boxes as you leave because this week what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take all the cards that are turned in from all of our campuses and I'm gonna email you. And I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna give you some tips on how to memorize because if you're like me from, maybe you're not from the South, you're just like me, uh, memorizing is not the easiest thing in the whole wide world unless it's a country song or sports statistics. Anything outside of that's a challenge. So I wanna encourage you in how to memorize. But most importantly, I want this to be a way for you to get truth in here so that it sticks in here so that you can live it out there.
I want you to live this week with the cross in the forefront of your mind so you're constantly reminded of who you are in Christ, that you don't have to earn worth, value, and significance. And when you do, that truth truly becomes unforgettable. You guys have a great week. Thanks for being here.